You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Parables of Jesus. So to begin, I wanted to run through um, a little bit of a summary of what we want to cover in the half an hour or so we've got together. Um, this evening. First of all, we're going to ask the question, what is a parable? So hopefully we could all at least attempt to answer that question, but I think it's worth thinking about that, uh, what what we mean when we're talking about a parable. Then we're going to ask, why did Jesus use parables? What was the purpose of Jesus um, using parables in his teaching? And we're going to very quickly um, look at the, the, the concept of how we might interpret a parable and what, what um, um, ideas and concepts we might use um, to try and gain an understanding from parables. And then we're going to look at three of the parables of Jesus, which I've outlined there. So the parable of the sower, which we read a few moments ago together, the parable of the builders, wise and foolish builders, and then finally um, the parable of the fig tree and then rounding off with one or two lessons that we glean from those parables for ourselves. So the first question then is, what is a parable? If we were to turn um, to Mark chapter four, and perhaps it, it's worth you um, doing that with me if, if you have a Bible in front of you. If, if you look at Mark chapter four and verse two, we're told that Jesus taught the people many things by parables and um, this chapter in Mark is Mark's account of the parable that we just read from Luke the parable of the sower and this this section uh, concludes in Mark chapter 4 with um, a similar idea that Jesus was repeatedly using parables to teach verse 34 without a parable spake he not unto them so Jesus used parables which i'm sure we know very well what does it mean well i've taken a couple of dictionary definitions to start with i don't necessarily think these give us the full um the full story but let's look at them anyway uh, so the cambridge dictionary says that a parable is a short simple story that teaches or explains an idea so so what the dictionary there is saying is it, it's um, a story that's helping us um, to understand a lesson or to understand an idea Collins Dictionary, short story which is told in order to make a moral or religious point. So a similar idea, a story that's being told to help people understand. If we look at what the word actually means, so as we probably know, the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, the Greek word that's translated into English as parable is the Greek word parabalo, and it literally means to place one thing alongside another so it's the idea of making a comparison you put one idea alongside another idea and draw some parallels um, to help with understanding so all of those ideas uh, are telling us that parables were to do with Jesus teaching that he used them regularly and it was in some ways um, to help people to understand what he was saying I think it's interesting to compare the ideas that I put before you there with this question as to why did Jesus use parables? Because we perhaps get a slightly different answer 
um, to why Jesus used parables when we look at what Jesus himself says when his disciples asked him the very same question. Let's turn back um, at this point to Matthew's gospel record, Matthew chapter 13, where we find in verse 10 there, Jesus' disciples asking this question, why are you using parables? So again, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. Matthew's account of it here in Matthew chapter 13. Um, and the disciples come after Jesus has spoken the parable in verse 10 and say, disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? So when they say unto them, they're talking about the, the mass of the people in general who were uh, following Jesus. Why, when Jesus was teaching the mass of people who were following him, why were he using parables? And he, he gives um, an answer to the disciples as we read on in these verses. Verse 11, Matthew 13. Jesus answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So when we, when we looked at our dictionary definition of what a parable might be, it, it provided us with the concept that it was to help people to understand. What Jesus appears to be saying here is that sometimes he's using parables to conceal the meaning of what he's saying from some people, from a certain group of people. Uh, and if we read down, Jesus explains this in a little bit more, more detail, why um, he's using this method. So look at verse 15 of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus um, says that the um, behavior of the people in not always comprehending his message was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. So verse 15, this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So what Jesus is telling us is that some people, the disciples, his, his close followers back in verse 11, the parables were helping them to understand his message. But for other people, the use of parables um, concealed his direct meaning from them. So just to finish off here in verse 16, he says again to the disciples, bless your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. What's the difference between these two groups of people? What's the difference between Jesus' close disciples who ask him this question, why are you using parables, and, and the wider mass of people to whom he was uh, preaching on a day-to-day -day basis? And I think what distinguishes the two is whether the people were willing to search for meaning. So I think it's fair to say that if for those who did search for meaning in the parables, those who queried Jesus and came to him and asked for the meaning, then it would help them to remember and understand his teaching. But for others um, who weren't willing to search, that, that, that who were lazy, whose eyes were closed and whose ears were heavy, as, as Jesus said there in Matthew 13, for them, um, if they weren't willing to search, they wouldn't really gain any meaning or any benefit. Jesus' parable. So a slightly nuanced view there as to what parables are all about. For those who are willing to search, yes, they do help us to understand Jesus' teaching. So very quickly, I just wanted, before we look at those uh, three parables we mentioned, I do want us to ask this question or, or look at this theme about how we might interpret 
the parable, just run through this very quickly. Well, first of all, often when Jesus gives a parable, he does actually explain what the parable means. So we don't really need to scratch our head. Jesus gives us the meaning or at least part of the meaning. And then we can build on what, what he says to perhaps search a little deeper for ourselves. Parables use symbols. So we saw in the chapter that we read the parable of the sower in Luke chapter eight with Jesus uh, used symbolic language. The, the, the teaching wasn't obviously about how to sow seed and how to grow crops. It, it was um, a, a lesson with a meaning and, and he uses symbols um, to represent different things. Uh, and we'll look at that in a moment. So it's parables use symbols. And to help us understand those symbols, we can sometimes look at other parts of the Bible to see how elsewhere those same symbols are used. Often Jesus' parables are based in the Old Testament, and we will see a couple of examples of that this evening. And I think if we are interpreting a parable, we must um, make sure that the conclusion we come to must make sense. It must tie in with what we know to be the clear teachings of Scripture. Uh, and I think one last point on this slide, it is it is perhaps more important for us to understand the main lesson that comes from the parable than try to sometimes delve into every detail and try to explain every detail which uh, which might sometimes bog us down. Right, so let's look at those three examples of parables. We're going to begin with the, the parable of the sower, the one that we read together at the beginning. So we, we read from Luke chapter 8, we've already seen that the same parable is to be found in Matthew and it's to be found in Mark. And they're, they're all very similar, although not identical. So what was the parable? Well, there's a couple of bullet points that summarise what the parable was all about. It's, it's a rustic scene, isn't it, that, that Jesus paints of a sower going out to sow his seed in, in the spring. It's a, perhaps a picture that Jesus disciples and those that listened to him would have been familiar with they lived in an agricultural society and they would have been familiar uh, with this scene if, if, if of course they had not actually uh, performed this act themselves of sowing seed and in jesus parable the seed that is sown falls into different places and this is really um where, where the parable um divides itself up it, into four sections some seed falls on the path, the path which has been trodden down, and the birds eat that seed up. Um, so, so there's two ways to, to read that little phrase there in, in um, Luke chapter 8, where it talks about um, that falling by the wayside and being trodden down. Perhaps Jesus was saying that the seed itself was trodden, and I think there is um, some relevance to that meaning, but also to the fact that because the ground had been trodden, the ground was hard, the seed couldn't um, drop into the cracks and therefore it was exposed and the birds would easily be able to see it and to eat it. So that's the first um, lot of seed. The second lot of seed falls on the rocks. It falls in stony places. And Jesus tells us that that seed begins to grow. It, it sprouts and grows a root. But because it's on rocky ground, it can't. the root can't go down deep. It doesn't have any moisture and it very quickly withers. The third lot of seed falls among the thorns and grows up with the thorns and the thorns that grow more strong, strongly um, choke the, the growing wheat or the crop, whatever it was, and it's choked. And then the last 
um, section, some of the seed falls onto good ground, grows up and bears forth fruit, which obviously is what the sower would have wanted uh, when he sowed the seed. So, as we've said, some parables Jesus gives as an explanation of what that parable means. And in this case, Jesus does give us an explanation of what the parable means. So first of all, look again at Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And so we have a symbol, a representation. The seed represents the word. So we might view the, the sower scattering the seed as the word being spread or preached by Jesus and his disciples. And then Jesus explains that the four types of ground onto which the seed falls represents four different classes of people. So the first seed fell on the path, didn't it? And the birds saw that, uh, it was trodden down, the birds then ate it up. And so Jesus says in verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So it's not our, our theme this evening to think about what the devil means. Suffice it to say that this is um, an analogy for sin. So because of sin, um, the word that they hear is very quickly um, taken away from their hearts. So perhaps here the idea of it being trodden down is appropriate. People treading down the word of God under their feet, having no respect for it, not willing um, to listen to it, having far better things to do. And they are drawn away by sin. That, that's the idea of um, the seed that falls on the path. Then there's some seed that falls on the rocks. And Jesus says that that seed or that ground represents some who believe at first. Do you remember the seed did start to sprout? But then in time of trial, in time of testing, represented by the sun burning down upon them, that they give up on, on their first belief. It's too hard. It's too difficult because they haven't got a root. They haven't got the moisture that they need in the symbol, in the parable. That's representing believers who believe for a short time, but when they're tested, uh, they fall away. Then those um, who are represented by the thorny ground. These are people who, when, um, when the word is heard, they are torn. Um, drawn away by the riches and the pleasures of this life. There are things that look far better and those are the things that they turn to. Those are the things that choke the growth of God's word. And then last of all, um, the seed which falls on the good ground, the good ground represents believers who are faithful, faithful to God and who are fruitful to God. So there's some symbols there, of course, that Jesus doesn't explain. We might wish to search deeper, for example, what does it mean? to be fruitful, but we have a, a nice outline there of what that parable means. And we remember that Jesus revealed this only to his closest disciples. So what more can we learn uh, from this parable of the sower? Well, to summarise, the, the, the parable is all about the different individuals' responses to preaching, different ways that people were responding to Jesus' preaching and, of course, uh, the disciples' preaching. Who were assisting him. That, that's what the theme 
phase of the parable. God's word being spoken and different people responding in different ways. Uh, and we note in the parable that the seed is always the same. It's not a different type of seed that's sown into different types of ground. It's always the same seed. And that tells us that God's word, God's message, the message of the gospel doesn't change. It's the same message to all people, uh, whatever their characteristics, whatever their response. What determines the outcome for the seed, whether that's a good outcome, as in the seed that falls on the good ground and bears forth fruit, or a bad outcome in the other cases, what determines that is the type of ground into which the seed falls. And uh, um, Jesus explains to us that this um, represents the hearts, if you like, of the people into whom, um, upon whose ears the word falls. So I put um, a reference there to Genesis chapter two and verse seven. You don't need to turn there. I'm sure you will know the words well. It reads, the Lord God formed man, Adam, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And so it's quite appropriate, isn't it, in Jesus' parable that the, the types of ground, the dust of the earth, if you like, those different types of ground represent different people. They're all ground, they're all people. We then come to the question, if Jesus is saying there is a good outcome uh, from the one type of ground, can we do anything about the type of ground we are? Or, or do we just have to say, well, I'm not the right type of ground, uh, therefore I'm not going to bear fruit to God? And I think here we, we can glean something from an Old Testament passage. And I think this, this might be one of the passages, at least, where Jesus was perhaps alluding to in this parable. There's another reference in Hosea, but we'll look at the one um, in Jeremiah. Come with me to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 3. So we said at the beginning, didn't we, that sometimes there is a basis for Jesus' parables in the Old Testament. Arguably, there's a basis for all of his parables in the accounts that we have in the Old Testament. So this is what um, prophet Jeremiah says to the people of God way, way back in the Old Testament through the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 3 of Jeremiah 4. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. So we're taking that verse slightly out of context, but it's an exhortation from God through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel um, to change their hearts and minds in order to accept God's message. And this symbol that is being used here is the symbol of the people being like ground that's fallow and needs to be broken up. So, so that means ground that's not been cultivated. It's been left. It might be growing weeds. It might be trampled down. It's not productive. It's fallow ground. And the, the, the advice of the prophet is to break up that ground. So it's exactly what a farmer would do. Uh, when he is ready to prepare his ground to sow, so he would break it up. He would plough it uh, with his with his animals and their plough. And so, in some way, what we're being told is that we, represented by the soil, could be fallow ground. We could be bad ground, but we are advised, exhorted, recommended to break up our fallow ground. Uh, and that's perhaps, um, oops, a bit quickly there. That's perhaps. Um, 
something that we could look at in more detail in our own time, what that means to break up our fallow ground. How, how do we change our hearts and minds? What do we need to do to ourselves to be more receptive to God's word? All right, let's look at the, the second parable we were going to think about. This was the parable of the builders, the two builders, the wise and the foolish builders. So if you would uh, come with me, please, to Matthew chapter 7, uh, we'll, we'll read that parable because it's only a few verses. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, says Jesus, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was all of it so what do we have there we have two builders one referred to as wise one referred to as foolish and two houses each builder builds a house the wise man building his house founding it on a rock and the other house the foolish man's house being built on sand or by implication not having a foundation at all it's just built on the sand and in both cases both the examples there that jesus gives both of those houses are exposed to a storm the rain and the wind and the floods came and we know what the outcome is doesn't don't we the the, the wise man's house the one that's founded upon the rock remains standing and the other house collapses uh, and jesus um, expression there great was the fall of it. It's, it's dramatic um, end to that house that was built on the sand. Uh, and Jesus gives us a partial explanation for this parable. He tells us that the wise builder represents people who hear Jesus' words and act upon them. So they hear the words and then go away and act upon those words. They do what Jesus says. Uh, and the foolish builder represents the opposite class of people who still hear Jesus' words, but these people go away and do something different. They don't um, do what he says. They don't follow his advice. They don't act in the way that he recommends. So, so there's part of an explanation there from Jesus as to what this parable means. Wise Builder represents people who act upon Jesus' words. Foolish builder represents people who hear the words but don't act upon them. Uh, and this is another parable, obviously, about people's response to our Lord's preaching. They hear the words, but how do they respond? Do they follow those words or do they do something different? So, can we make anything else of this parable? Can we? draw out any lessons for ourselves but the simple lesson is that we ought to not only hear jesus teachings and we, we in our day and age can hear jesus teachings through reading um, the record of the lord jesus in the new testament 
but also we need to do the things that Jesus tells us, at least to the best of our ability. So what do the houses and the rock and the sand and the storm represent? If we know that the, the builders represent two different types of people, those who do or don't respond to Jesus' teaching, what do those other elements of the parable speak to us of? Well, again, it, it's useful for us to go back into the Old Testament, another um, occasion where we think that perhaps Jesus might have had an Old Testament passage in mind when he delivered this parable. Come back to the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Um, so this is a message of God through Isaiah to the people of Isaiah's day. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So in that uh, verse 16 of Isaiah 28, we have a foundation, a foundation which is uh, a rock. So it's called a stone here, but it's also called a sure foundation. So it's a very stable um, foundation, which is laid in the beginning of verse 16 in, in the place in Zion in Jerusalem. Then look at verse 17. Judgment also will I lay to the lime and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. And so in that next verse, we have um, a storm. So we have hail and water sweeping away and we have a house that collapses the refuge of lies. It, it, it's a construction uh, referred to as the refuge of lies that swept away in this storm. So does this help us to understand the parable that Jesus spoke? Well, I'm sure it's relatively easy for us to see, and we could establish this if we had time to look at more passages in the New Testament, that in Isaiah chapter 28, the foundation, the sure foundation, stone that's laid in Zion is a reference to the Lord Jesus. It's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ who would be um, in God's sight a sure foundation stone that would be laid in Zion. Uh, and in the second verse, in verse 17, we have the idea, the concept of judgment, of um, day of judgment that where, where God will test um, the, the work of of men so by implication and we, we asked the question what might the buildings represent i'm going to suggest to you that the buildings represent our works it, it, they represent our lives and whether our lives and the things we do are based on jesus teachings or whether they're not based on jesus teachings and if our if our works are based on Jesus' teachings, then we are built on the sure foundation, that, that foundation that's laid in Zion, which represents the Lord Jesus. We are built on him. And so what might the, the sand represent? Well, if the rock represents the Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching, then the sand would surely represent the opposite, the teachings of men, the, the, the shifting sands of human teaching, which are certainly not a sure foundation on which to build our lives. And if we think about it, we might see 
another allusion to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, man being made from the dust of the ground, the sand, the dust, um, being what makes up, uh, made up man's frame in the beginning. Uh, and so the lesson there is, is really that we ought to build our lives on the rock, on the Lord Jesus. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If we think about what Jesus said, that those who build on the rock are those who hear his words and do them. The alternative is to put our trust in men represented by the sand. And if we do that, we know that at the day of judgment, our edifice, which is a refuge of lies, will not stand. Right, last then, the last one we want to look at, last parable we want to consider, the parable of the fig tree. So this parable is given again in more than one of the gospel accounts. We're going to look at Luke chapter 21. So again, it's only um, a few verses, so it would be beneficial for us to turn to Luke 21 and just read those few verses together, um, together first. So this is a short parable that comes at the end of quite a long um, discourse of the Lord Jesus uh, when uh, in part an answer to, to Jesus' disciples' question when they ask him uh, what will be the signs of the coming of the end of the world. So reading Luke 21 from verse 29. And Jesus spake to them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So what are the main points that we have in this parable? Well, we have a fig tree, don't we? That's why it's called the parable of the fig tree. But this fig tree is sprouting. There's new growth coming on this fig tree. The, the expression that Jesus uses is it's shooting or sprouting fresh um, branches. And we know, don't we, when we read the parable, it's actually not just the parable about the fig tree. Jesus said, behold the fig tree and all the trees. So Jesus is drawing a particular emphasis to the fig tree, whatever that represents, but is also telling us that there is a significance, um, a similar thing happening in some ways among other trees, whatever they might represent. And Jesus tells us that when the fig tree and all the trees sprout, then this is a sign that summer is now at hand. So again, it's it's a rustic picture, something that Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with. They were part of a society that was much closer to, to nature than we are today. They were dependent on the seasons. They knew that when the spring came, new growth would come on all the plant life and it showed that summer and the time of um, the crops and the food was was coming. And just in conclusion there, Jesus said that the fulfillment of these things, so whatever the fig tree sprouting with the other trees represents, um, is a sign of the nearness of God's kingdom. So we have a, a partial explanation again of what this parable means from the Lord Jesus. We can see that the summer is a symbol for the kingdom age. When you see a tree sprouting, you know that summer's coming. So when something happens, we know that God's kingdom is near at hand. So we need to think a little bit deeper about what that something that the trees and their sprouting for 
especially the fig tree, represents that would signify that God's kingdom is close at hand. Um, we haven't had time to read the whole chapter, but we do know that if we look back to verse 25 and 26, uh, for example, that Jesus mentions other signs that would precede his coming in his kingdom. Um, so signs such as distress of nations in verse 25 and in verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking upon those things which are coming on the earth. So, so an age of um, upheaval and fear in the earth that parallels fig tree sprouting. So we're going to suggest to you that the fig tree is used by Jesus as a symbol for the nation of Israel. And I think we could establish this uh, from the Old Testament. I put a couple of passages on the screen there. We're not going to turn them up this evening, but I think it's evident in those passages that, that the prophets who speak um, of the fig tree there are using it as a symbol for God's people, Israel. And that's not inappropriate, is it? Because um, fig tree is one of the trees that, that grows in that uh, climate of Israel and that, that area of the Middle East. It's quite a, a, a prominent tree and it's an appropriate symbol for the nation of Israel. So what would it mean then um, for the fig tree, if that symbolizes Israel, for the fig tree um, to be shooting for? Well, the idea is, isn't it, of, of a tree in the spring coming back to life um, after it's been dormant through the colder period of the winter. Um, it, it's, it's starting to grow again. It's coming um, into new life. And this is something that we've seen in our own generation, um, that Israel has sprouted forth. It's come back to life. It's been reborn as a nation. And it's, we don't need to look too far back in history to, to learn that the state of Israel was re-established in the earth in the year 1948 with Jerusalem. Uh, made its capital once again in 1967. So what we suggest here is that Jesus' parable in Luke 21 is looking forward in time to the time when Israel would be reborn, something that we've already seen in uh, our own generation. And he's telling us that this is a sign that the kingdom of God is near. What about all the trees. He wasn't speaking about just the fig tree, was he? He was speaking about all the trees. Can, is this anything similar that we can say of the other trees? And if you've been many times to a, an evening um, with the Christadelphians in our evening talks, you will know we talk a lot about Israel and the rebirth of Israel, and we give it great prominence as an evidence that God's word is true, his prophecies are being fulfilled. And yes, as we're thinking about this evening, that God's kingdom is near at hand. Uh, and Israel is, is very special and very unique in that it's the only nation um, in the earth that has been completely destroyed and wiped out from its homeland and then has been reborn. And of course, God's hand has been behind that. But in what way might we see other nations springing forth, sprouting forth, coming to life in a similar way? Well, if we look um, at the nations in the world around us, of which 
depending what source you look at, how you classify a nation, there are around about 195 nations in the world today. The majority of those nations did not exist before the 20th century. So um, when we go back in time, the world was dominated by great empires. We've heard of the British Empire and many of the European countries had their own empires. During the 20th century in particular, perhaps slightly earlier in the Americas, there's been a flourishing of nation states claiming their independence. So today we don't see those great empires, but we see a multitude of small independent nations. And perhaps um, I think that this is what Jesus was referring to when he speaks about um, the fig tree, Israel, the most prominent and best example, the most miraculous example, but also other trees uh, claiming their independence, coming into existence in the last years before we believe his kingdom will be established. So let's draw our thoughts to the conclusion then and, and re refresh uh, what some of the lessons we've been able to glean are for ourselves. We looked at the parable of the sower, uh, and that parable we suggested was teaching us that we, in our hearts and minds, must be receptive to God's words. And that, that requires a degree of preparation in the symbol, uh, breaking up our fallow ground, if it is fallow, that it might receive uh, the seed of God's word, and that that seed might grow and bear forth fruit to God. That is um, characteristics in our, uh, our, uh, that we might develop characteristics that please God and give him honour and glory. Then we looked at the parable of the builders and that tells us and warns us that there is a coming day of judgment. There is a storm, if you like, that will come and that will test um, each of us. Not, not that we can uh, by our own works, save ourselves, that it is necessary for us to build upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus. And if we do so, if we do hear and obey his words, then we pray by God's mercy, we might be found worthy and able to stand in the day of judgment and inherit God's kingdom. And then lastly, we look at the parable of the fig tree, which assures us that God has provided evidence that his kingdom is near day of Jesus' return is near through um, the evidence of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And it leaves us to ask the question, are we ready for that day to come? Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others
Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.